Welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most compelling and controversial seafood news of the moment. I am Drew Cherry, Editorial Director of Interfish Media. I am here with Executive Editor John Fiorillo. Well, not here. He's in Seattle. And also joining is reporter Lola Navarro in London. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. So, another exciting week. Uh, biggest news, no doubt, this week was uh, the governor of Washington signing the death warrant on uh, the salmon farming industry in that state. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to start uh, on a slightly more positive note, uh, which is the performance of the Chilean salmon farming sector. Lola, you've been covering the uh, industry very closely. Uh, and have kept an eye in particular on how the earnings went for 2017 and uh, the fourth quarter. So just give us a snapshot of what's behind those and what the numbers look like. Yeah, uh, so well, all results are out now. The only the only listed company missing is Invermar, but the rest are out. And I think all in all, it's been a very good year. It's quite difficult to compare with the previous year because of the algal bloom. 2016 was very, very unusual. But when you compare the results uh, with 2016 and with 2015, you see how the margins are much better. And this has to do, of course, with the higher prices for the first half. Um, but then when you look at the fourth quarter, you see that even though the results <clears throat> or the margins uh, fell due to the, to the lower prices of the second half of the year, the companies kept uh, making very good profits and very good margins. They <clears throat> didn't make any losses, and this, in comparison to 2015, is a complete turnaround because um, prior to the algal bloom, all companies were practically making losses on every kilo of Atlantic salmon. So I think all in all, it's been a good year, and I think it uh, from now on, companies are, or this is what the industry is saying, are going to start being very profitable, and unless something huge happens, they should uh, be able to manage costs and <clears throat> and to make profits, especially with the new regulations. And they're also going to start investing much more money in marketing. So I think it's looking good for them. Good. And how about the share performance on the Santiago Stock Exchange with the IPO of uh, Comanchaca? I know that gave things a, a bit of a lift and uh, Aquachile saying they're going to go uh, also maybe strengthening um, uh, some of the sentiment about the shares there. Um, so how they done and uh, who else is kind of rumored to be um, looking at listing in, in Oslo? Well, yeah, the, the Kavanchaka IPO triggered a lot of interest from investors and after it, in, on the Oslo, on the Santiago stock market, uh, all companies uh, saw an increase in shares. <clears throat> After that, there has been a bit of fluctuation because of the because of the fourth quarter results. But uh, yeah, that that prompts a, a lot of interest. Then, as you're saying, Aqua Chile announced that they're also going to launch. Uh, they're also going to go public on on Norway. Uh, stock market and yeah the rumors are that Australis could be another one and well Blumar CEO said in the past that they are uh, considering it and they are paying very close attention to the development with a uh, Kamanchaka or Salmanes Kamanchaka and Aquachile and and based on this I think they'll make a decision I guess companies 
are now much better financially. They've got multi-export and Salman Escamanchaca also managed to to get their debt and Aquachile as well to get their debt um, <clears throat> financed by the banks. Uh, there is a few companies that have said, or there is one company that <clears throat> has the salmon business on sale. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So these uh, capital increases and these uh, cash injections, I think, are going to help uh, consolidation in the industry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like you said, I think there's some uh, some action going to be happening there soon. Obviously, salmon farmers have. A lot of money to spend. Um, certainly, the big ones do. So let's see. Uh, let's see what they do with it. Uh, John, as I said, uh, we need to talk about Cook. Um, tell us a bit about how this all uh, came to its sad conclusion uh, on uh, Thursday. Yeah, it's ironic that um, as Chile invests and goes on stock markets, the U.S., at least in Washington State, has decided that salmon farming is no good and dangerous. So our governor yesterday signed uh, the bill that basically phases out all Atlantic salmon farming, uh, which means cook because they're the only ones in the state, and prohibits um, – well, what he did was he signed the bill, so that phases out Cook, but he vetoed a part of the bill. This was really astounding to me. Vetoed a part of the bill that would have allowed the state to continue to study Atlantic salmon farming uh, with, with an eye toward as the technology improved and was found satisfactory, they may one day allow it. No, no, sorry. He just vetoed that right out of the bill. So clearly... <laughs> Unless something really odd happens, there will never be salmon farming, uh, Atlantic salmon farming in Washington State. So, you know, take it for what it is. This is wild salmon country, and, you know, we've got all this history and culture wrapped up in this iconic wild salmon myth that no longer is true. We don't have the salmon runs we, we did. We've overdeveloped everything, and but yet, you know, we cling to that um, like we do to artifacts in a museum, and that's basically where we are. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the irony being that um, just uh, in that same water, not too far north of there, you've got a, a large and thriving BC salmon farming industry. Um, not to mention the, the, the loads of hatchery supplementation that's been going on for years and years and years. To the point that I don't even know how many of those salmon, nobody knows how many of those salmon swimming out in, uh, in the waters off Washington State are, are even uh, truly genetically uh, uh, wild anymore. Um, no, and they never talk about that. And they never talk about that in Alaska either where salmon farming, I believe, is banned as well. I mean, it's 30 to 40 percent of some of those runs are, are uh, hatchery salmon. So, you know, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, that's the end of uh, that's the end of the story for now. And um, yeah, I agree. I don't see uh, anything really changing given the uh, politics uh, in uh, in Washington State. Um, but but just just let me ask you: Do you think there was anything that Cook could have done differently in the direct af aftermath of 
the uh, of the escape. Yeah, it's a good question. Would it change what ultimately happened? It's a good question whether it will change what ultimately happened. Uh, I I don't think so, but it is interesting to note, and Cook probably doesn't want to hear this, but people who were close to the situation who who I spoke with said that um, there was a, there was an arrogance about Cook when the uh, escapes happened and their initial reaction. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk initially for from Cook about the blue moon and its effect on tides and you know yada yada, but. Um, you know that that was probably not the best approach. Nevertheless, you know whether they they came at the state in an arrogant way or whatever, they didn't deserve to be legislated out of business. That's not that's not how you decide whether a company can operate or not. So, um, I don't know. Maybe Cook learned some lessons from this. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were just fine in the way they behaved it, it's hard to say but indications are that they kind of got off on the wrong foot after the escape and it didn't get any better than that obviously yeah well speaking of uh, other family owned companies obviously Cook's going to be just fine they've got uh, plenty of assets around the world uh, including Bass and Bream which we're going to talk about in just one moment with, uh, with Lola um but we uh, spoke about Boston on the last week's podcast, but um, we didn't get too much into uh, some of the uh, M&A activity, um, in part because some of it hadn't happened yet. Um, uh, so we've got H&M um, making a, a deal, uh, Mark Foods, Mitsui USA. Um, John, are we going to see a wave of consolidation among these small or smallish, I should say, uh, on the global stage, but big in the U.S. Um, family-owned, uh, family-owned companies. Is this the year where things are going to really take off? Uh, it could be. I mean, and the two you mentioned, and then there were uh, several others mentioned in Boston, which uh, will likely unfold here in the in the coming months. So, um, you know, it's. Uh, if we get a handful or more um, in the next few months, that would be a pretty significant number. And we all know there's lots of private equity and investment money um, targeted on this sector. So, uh, yeah, I think this could be a, a pretty significant year for uh, M&A in the kind of smaller to mid-range companies in the U.S., well, let's talk uh, about private equity again. Um, and as I said, we're going to move over to uh, to Lola, talking about the Bass and Bream sector. So, Lola, you uh, your reporting um, indicates that there is going to be some activity there, in particular with uh, private equity firm uh, Amera, uh, who's been uh, looking to do some consolidation, but hasn't really made uh, any major moves uh, yet beyond its uh, initial purchase. So what do we expect to happen there? Well, uh, there is a lot happening apparently there. Uh, uh, the bidding process is only down to two bidders. One of them is Amera, like you were saying, and, and the industry is saying that they're very, very close to to closing a deal for the acquisition of Nereus and Zelanda, the Greek Seabrim um, and Sivas uh, companies. Um, well, Amera is the is the owner of uh, another Greek company, Andromeda. They bought it. Um, they bought it in 2015, and they've made a lot of investments. And 
um, according to, to the company, to Andromeda, they are expanding massively in Spain. They are planning to double production by 2020. And, and yeah, industry sources say that uh, this is this is the strongest uh, candidate for the for the takeover of the of the of the two companies. And I think this could mean this could mean that they are going to expand to other countries as well, like they did with Andromeda. Well, Andromeda had already some operations in Spain, but according to the company executives, uh, this is the location where Amera Capital is looking to invest the most. Well, and they're sharp guys. They're they're for real. They've got the uh, they've got the money, uh, and they have uh, the uh, the knowledge as well about the sector. So um, I expect something something is going to happen there. And let's not forget too. Uh, again, Cook uh, has its uh, its operations in Spain. They have Colmarex. So they, I'm sure, are uh, also looking for a, a new place to grow with Washington off the table. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. Well, okay, let's wrap it up there. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, another podcast. Um, just a quick note, if you're listening to this on our website uh, via SoundCloud on the story, um, you can download our podcast on uh, your iPod, on your uh, iOS device, and please do it because then you can take it with you. It'll automatically upload when we have a, a new one put out. Um, and that will give you the chance to uh, rate our podcast and give us any feedback on how we can improve it and how we can do a better job. Uh, remember, you can find us on intrafish.com, around the clock seafood news. Sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up on, uh, on everything that's happening in the world. And you can find us all over social media as well. So that's it for this podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks, Lola. Thanks.